And we can disagree on things of, of the future. You know, it's okay. You know, it's safe to say that there are things about, let's say, the end times or some aspects of what's going to happen in the end. It's safe to say that it's shrouded in a little bit of mystery. It's safe to say I don't have it all figured out. It's safe to say that, you know, I reserve the right to be surprised. Let me give you another example. Like our, our people, my people, the Jewish people, 2,000 years ago, had it all figured out what the Messiah was going to do. They were going to rescue them from Roman oppression. Free Israel, fist pump. They were going to rescue Israel from oppression, from Roman oppression, and set up self-governance, and that's what the Messiah was going to do. All of a sudden, Yeshua comes. He says, uh -huh, that's what the future Buddy, I'm going to save you from your sins. I'm not going to save you from the Romans. I'm going to tell you to bless them, bless those who curse you. I'm going to tell you, tell you to carry their packs, and I'm going to save you from their sins. And our people said, sorry, thanks, but no thanks. And in this pivotal moment, Yeshua and Barabbas was before them, and they chose Barabbas. Barabbas was that revolutionary kind of guy that promised salvation through muscle and might from Rome, and they chose him over the Prince of Peace. So they thought they had their theology, their end times theology, their messianic theology all figured out, but they were wrong. And I don't want to be in that place to be so boxed into things that haven't happened yet where I could miss something that's true from God. So I want you to know that I might be sharing some things that you might have some disagreement on, and I want you to know that's okay. I want you to know it's okay. And if you have any disagreement on it, just let me know. Feel free to text me or something like that, and you can just tell me, hey, I'm not seeing it this way or that way. You're just not going to be able to tell me right after service because special note, I have to leave right after. Okay? Um, so uh, this is a good message for me to just kind of run out the door once it's all done. You know, perfect message for it. I'm actually going to New Jersey right after service uh, to visit my mother for a couple days. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to be with uh, my niece and nephew who are visiting from Israel. Yeah, they're very orthodox. You want to hear uh, an interesting thing? I'm not going to take long with this at all, but uh, I met them only for the first time last year. The reason I only met them for the first time, they're my nieces and nephews, I only met them for the first time because my sister, who's Orthodox Jewish, keeps me away from them because I believe in Jesus. So she doesn't allow me to talk to them. Well, guess what? Now they're adults, right? They're in their young 20s, and good old Uncle Brian has been this, what's the word, like, pariah, yeah, perfect word. What's the, there's a spiritual word for, like, anathema, right? Doesn't mean, like, you're cursed, Right? Like, I'm anathema in that family. All of a sudden, they're like, hey, I, <laughs> I could do what I want now. I'm 20 years old. So they were in America last year, and I spent time with my nephew. And I could tell you right now, for literally three, four hours stop, he was asking me about Jesus. Three or four, nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And, you know, because of, you know, I grew up in Messianic Judaism. I was able to, you know, kind of duke it out with him, you know, and just answer his objections from a Jewish perspective. Anyway, I'm going to be with them again today, tonight. So uh, all that to say this, I got a jet right after service. So if you get any, any problems with what I'm about to share, save it for later. But text me and I'll get back to you. All right, so here we go. So we're going to get into these autumn festivals. So it starts with the trumpet blast. It eventually goes to atonement. It eventually goes to this, this time called the tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, and then this thing called the Eighth-day Assembly. And we're going to go through this uh, hopefully pretty quickly. And so let's just go through it. So Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Trumpets, is a foreshadow of a time of tribulation. Okay? I'm not sure if this is in your end times theology, but eventually we're going to hit a time of tribulation. 
of worldwide tribulation, some trouble, challenge that's going to come to the world. Um, and that's something that's coming. And that starts with the sounding of the shofar. And the fact that there's a long summer of nothing, and all of a sudden, boom, the shofar blasts, the trumpet blasts, and now we're in the time of the autumn, which is the time of the end, is very similar to the th when Yeshua said, like, it's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to expect it, right? So how do we know? Well, let me just read this scripture from Numbers. This is just a basic scripture about this holiday. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that's the beginning of the autumn, by the way, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do customary work. For you, it's a day of trumpets. That's all it says. It doesn't give any other information except that it's a day of trumpets, day of trumpets. But we see this term, the day of trumpets, the exact same Hebrew, uh, in the prophetic writings in the Old Testament. Uh, one of them is in Zephaniah. Now, how many read the whole book of Zephaniah just this morning? I know each and every one of you did. Like, I know that's like top priority in your Bible readings, the book of Zephaniah. Um, but in one of those, it says, near is the, is the great day of the Lord. Now, anybody hear the term, the day of the Lord? You see that sometimes. Make a note of that. Make a mental note of that. Uh, but what is it? A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble, distress. So this is not good stuff, right? This is challenging worldwide tribulation stuff. Destruction, desolation, a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of clouds, a day of thick darkness, a, a day of shofars and alarm. Now, this is the exact same terms it's used when it speaks about Rosh Hashanah that we just read from, from the book of Numbers. Okay, so which means that the day of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, that holiday is a foreshadow of trouble, of a bad time in this world, okay, of a time of tribulation. It's not the only place. It's when it says in Joel, blow a shofar, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm. That's the same Hebrew. Uh, my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Keep going. For the day of the Lord, it calls it the day of the Lord again. Indeed, it's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Okay, so we could stop there for a second. So we see a couple of things. In the prophetic writings, which are end times prophecies in the Old Testament, it talks about the day of trumpets as being a day of darkness and a day of gloom and a day of trouble. Okay? So that's why we know that Rosh Hashanah, the day of trumpets, is actually a foreshadow of the tribulation time. Rosh Hashanah is the day of the Lord. We learn that in the prophetic writings. We ever hear the term the day of the Lord, it is equated with this holiday of Rosh Hashanah. So if we can move forward, even in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, we know that the tribulation time is marked by trumpets, right? And none of these trumpets are good, well, except one. We're going to get there. Trumpet one, a third of the earth burned up. Trumpet two, a third of the sea dies. Trumpet three, water becomes wormwood. Trumpet four, the sun and the moon. Boy, this is a party, huh? Glory, hallelujah. All right, trumpet five, the bottomless pit is open. Trumpet six, a third of mankind is killed. Trumpet seven, well, that doesn't sound so bad. The kingdom of this world becomes the kingdoms of God and of Christ. Uh, and if you read everything about the seventh trumpet, it's actually, there's nothing bad about it at all. It's actually very good. Um, so we're going to get into that. So if you can go back again, uh, back one. So no, the, you can stay right there. So I just want to conclude that in the book of Revelation, the tribulation time is marked by trumpets also. That's why the day of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, is a foreshadow of tribulation. Okay? Simple dimple, right? Um, just want to say one thing about the day of the Lord. Like, it's called the day of this day, as we just read, is called the day of the Lord. Now, if you go forward once, uh, in the beginning of, of Revelation, in the first chapter, in verse 10, John, who wrote Revelation, who received the Revelation, said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, when I put on my little Jewish eyeglasses on, I have to ask the question, 
why would the Lord's Day be any different from the Day of the Lord? Now, normally you would think the Day of the Lord is Sunday, right? That's normally, I believe, how it's translated, I think. But why would it be something different? If, it, if we have something called the Day of the Lord, and we learn that it's actually the Day of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, why would we think that when he says the Lord's Day, it's actually any different? It's the same terminology. So I want to conclude to you, humbly conclude, that John wrote this on Rosh Hashanah. In fact, it says, I heard behind me a loud, uh, a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. So I think that is a hint that the day of the Lord or the Lord's Day that, that John wrote this on, which I think makes a lot of sense. If Rosh Hashanah, the day of trumpets, is actually a foreshadow to end times tribulation, doesn't it make a world of sense that John actually wrote this revelation on that day? And he says it's the Lord's Day. Now, I know, with, you know we're, we're taught something, but when I go back to the Old Testament, I see multiple places where it says the day of the Lord. I don't see why that would be a different thing. So I just want to make a conclusion. Maybe I'm wrong. But my conclusion is that the Lord's Day is the day of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, and that's the day that John wrote Revelation. And that's why it says he heard the sound of a trumpet right in that verse. Another little hint. Okay, so we can move forward. So Rosh Hashanah is a foreshadow of tribulation. After that comes the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And I left a lot of space there because that's a big day with a lot of big fulfillments, and I'm going to go through it. Now, there might be disagreement here, okay? And I, like I said, it's perfectly fine. There's an expression in Judaism, and you can adopt it if you want because I think it, I think it, 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 it it's, can be used well uh, for Christian theology as well. There's an expression, if you have two Jews, you have three opinions. It's, and, you know, if you talk about Christian theology, it's probably the same thing, right? Um, so when it comes to the rapture, which I do believe in, uh, there are different ways of looking at the rapture, and one of them is pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that before all that tribulation that we just spoke about or just read about in Revelation, before that happens, the Lord's going to zap us out of here, right? Uh, that's the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, there's another theology that's a post-tribulation rapture that actually the believers of God are actually go through the tribulation, um, or at least are here, even if we're protected, and um, the rapture happens after. Now, I happen to be a post-tribulation rapture guy, and if you disagree with it, text me. I'm totally cool with it. This is not something that we need to divide over at all, okay? You know when we're going to figure it out? After it happens. And then we can go get some Starbucks together. And I got, I got news for you. I think on a lot of the things when it comes to the end times, we're all going to be wrong. We're all going to be surprised. And we're all going to clink a glass together and say, Baruch Hashem, to God be the glory. He gets all the glory. And I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. But I, for, I happen to be a post-tribulation rapture guy. And, but let me at least make my case for it and how, go back, and how it pertains to uh, Yom Kippur, how, we see, how I see it's after the tribulation and how it is a fulfillment, one of the fulfillments of Yom Kippur. All right, are, we, are you with me, or is this like, whoosh? Okay. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's, and I'm not a big fan of giving sermons like this, because they're not really sermons, you know what I mean? These are more teaching and kind of things. I'd rather, you know, speak to, a, you know, speak to something that you can take home, it's meaningful in your home, in your life. Anyway, so, um, so, okay, so let's go to some of the rapture verses. Now, I, now I'm going to just read some of these verses from the New Testament, and I believe we're all in agreement that these these are verses about the rapture itself, right? So 1 Thessalonians, and I always have trouble saying that word, 
Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. I'll tell you later why I have that highlighted. And the dead in Messiah will rise first, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so go back. So are we in agreement that this is about the rapture? Like this is one of the rapture verses, right? And what are the major, what are the major things? We have a descent of the Lord, number one. Uh, we have a trumpet sound, right? We have a resurrection of the dead, those who died in, in Messiah, those who believed, they're resurrected. Okay, and then every and they get resurrected and raised up in the air, and those who are still alive also get raised up with them, and we meet um, him in the air, right? So that's that's what's happening here. So there's another verse also in Corinthians. If you can go forward, uh, behold, I tell you a mystery: we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now, so do we believe that this is also speaking of the rapture? Okay, good. So we're, we're in agreement. So if you go back, okay, so we know in both verses that we agree are about the rapture. Um, it's, it speaks about it happening at a tr with the trumpet blast. They both say it, right? So this one says it, has, it happens at the, with the trumpet of God, but the next one gives a little more description. It says, the last trumpet. The last trumpet. How many trumpets did we say are in in, in uh, tribulation? Seven. When does the rapture happen? Which trumpet? The last trumpet. How can it be before tribulation if it's at the last trumpet? Does that make sense? That's just the math. Okay? So that's one thing I see. So if you go forward, so we know there are seven trumpets of tribulation. Which of these is the last trumpet? That one. Right? And notice it's not so bad. The rapture's a good event. Right? So that's why it's one of the reasons, that's just the mathematical reason why I believe that I'm a post-trib rapture guy, right? Because it says, it's the, if it just said it's a trumpet blast, then it could be any one of them. But if it says it's the last trumpet, that's meaningful. It can't be the last trumpet and then you have trumpets later, right? The trumpets of, of tribulation. If it's the last trumpet, it's the last trumpet, right? So that's, that's one of the reasons that I believe um, in a post-tribulation rapture. But what does this, and so that's why I put in the rapture at the last, and I can only fit Trump, and that is, that's not a political statement. I just want to let everybody know, unless you want it to be. Um, so the rapture happens at the last trumpet. So go back, please, Kiara. And so, okay. So the rapture happens at the last trumpet. What does that have to do with Yom Kippur. If you ask an Orthodox Jew who knows the Torah and studies the Torah, and you say, what's the last trumpet? They're gonna tell you something. It actually has meaning in the books of Moses. It's actually something that we see if you dig into it. So, and it, it happens on a Yom Kippur, which happens after Rosh Hashanah. And if we agree, if we can surmise that Rosh Hashanah is tribulation, and Yom Kippur, we know, is a holiday that happens after. I'm going to explain why Yom Kippur is the holiday where we hear the last trumpet. Now, now you can go forward. Now, in the calendar, in God's calendar that we see in the books of Moses, there are different cycles. There are different time spans. There's a day, as we know. There's a week. There's a month. There's a year. We know all this. This is no-duh stuff. But then there's something called the Shemitah. Everybody ever hear that? Um, it's a seven-year cycle. 
Okay, it's a seven-year cycle. It's every six, you go six years, then seven years is actually, a, a, the seventh year is a Sabbath for the land, where you don't glean or sow. This is in the books of Moses, is what they had to do in an agricultural society. Um, and then it started again. Six years, seventh year is a Sabbath for the land, six years, seventh years. That's called the Shemitah, Shemitah cycle. Okay? And then we people have heard of this one because it's, it makes its way into some of the Christian prophetic um, mindset, the Jubilee. This is my year of Jubilee, right? So the, U, so the Jubilee is every 50 years. So every 50 years is something called a Jubilee. So you have 49 years, and then the 50th year is a Jubilee, and then 49 years, and the 50th year is a Jubilee. That is the last of all the cycles of God. You have a day, you have a week, you got a month, you got a year, you got a seven-year cycle, and then you got a 50-year cycle, and everything starts again. And the year of Jubilee is an interesting, I- interesting commandment because all debts are canceled, right? So long mortgage. Sorry, bank, you know. So go tell your bank, you know, like, hey, it's the year of Jubilee. I, I'm not paying you anymore, right? But that's, that's how it was back then. And, and land goes back to its original owner. So even in, in Israel in ancient times, there could be um, land that was sold, right? Just like you could buy a house and sell a house, buy, sell, and things can change ownership. All of a sudden, in the year of Jubilee, everything goes back the way it was. It's like a reset. Not the great reset, but a reset. Okay. Um, so everything just kind of goes back to the original, the original plan. And then things start again. That's what the year of Jubilee is. So if you go forward... Um, it says in Leviticus 25, you're to count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. There's your 49 years, so that you have the time of seven Sabbaths of years, 49 years, and then after that's the year of Jubilee, the 50 years. Then it says, you shall sound the ram's horn. There's your last trumpet. That's the last of the cycles of God. That's the last of the cycles of God. Only on the year of Jubilee, which is once every 50 years, on the Day of Atonement, a trumpet is sound. If you ask somebody who studies Torah, what is the last trumpet of all of God's cycles? Every time a trumpet is sound, what's the last trumpet? The answer is the one that happens on the Day of Atonement, every 50 years on the year of Jubilee. That is the last trumpet. Okay? So, if you can go forward, that's why I believe that the last trumpet, I see the last trumpet as happening as a fulfillment of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, because the last trumpet in the scripture, is happened. That's when it's blown on Yom Kippur once every 50 years. So I believe that that is when the rapture happens. That is the prophetic view of when the rapture happens. There are a couple of scriptures when it comes to the last trumpet of Revelation, the last trumpet of Revelation, there's a couple of hints that that is, a foreshad- that is foreshadowed by that trumpet that sounds on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement. Uh, I'm sorry, Yom Kippur, which is Day of Atonement, on the year of Jubilee. And let me explain. So this is in the New Testament. This is Revelation. This is the seventh trumpet. And the seventh angel sounds, and there will be loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of the world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Messiah or of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. If you can just keep it there for a second. That quote right there is year of Jubilee speak. Okay? Because year of Jubilee is when all the land goes back to its rightful owner. This is when the land goes back to the owner. And here he's saying, when this happens, the world goes back to Messiah. Do you understand that? That's year of jubilee speak. That's, year, uh, that's a year of jubilee, what's the word? Year of jubilee, you know, it's, it's, it's the same essence of year of jubilee, where the land on year of jubilee every 50 years, if I sold the land to Pastor David 
on the year of Jubilee would go back to me. And here he's saying all the land, all the world goes back to Christ. Right? So that's the year of Jubilee speak. That's a hint from a Jewish perspective of what this is. The second thing it says, which, makes, which gives me pause, is also, also about the seventh trumpet. The temple of God, which is in heaven, was open, and the Ark of the Covenant appeared. When does that happen? Once a year. And that happens on the Day of Atonement. That's the only time the temple's open and we get to the Ark. It's the only time. So we see two things in this seventh trumpet that we see in Revelation. We see the kingdoms of the world goes back to Christ. That's year of Jubilee speak. And the temple of God is open and we see the Ark. That only happens on Yom Kippur. So we, and we just learned that Yom Kippur, year of Jubilee, is when the last trumpet sounds. So that's why I conclude that the last trumpet, which is the rapture, it happens at the last trumpet, is a fulfillment of Yom Kippur. We can keep going. Um, what else does it fulfill? So this is going back to the rapture verses. For this we will say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. So it talks about the coming of the Lord and his descent with a shout, and um, it, what we already read, the dead and Messiah will rise, and we who are alive will remain, who remain will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now those that, that ascribe to a a pre-tribulation rapture, believe that the coming of the Lord that's mentioned here where it says he will descend and it says just prior, the coming of the Lord is not his necessarily return to earth, right? Uh, the pre-tribulation rapture theology says that his coming of the Lord is really just an appearance in the sky and we, get, we go up and we're zapped back. But I personally, and I say this with humility and just correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Later, because I gotta run. Um, I don't see any any witness in scripture that the Lord, when the Lord comes, it's just a little appearance and zap back. So what, what does that mean? Like when he comes, when he actually comes back, it's his third coming? Like that's the coming of the Lord. It says that. So I, I don't see really a, a scriptural precedent to that. Um, I do see the, the precedent when he comes, he's coming back. That's what I see. Okay. He's coming back. It's not just his appearance and zap back. It's he's coming. He's coming back. Um, in Acts 1, when they watched him ascend uh, they, uh, an angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? This Yeshua who has been taken up from you will come in the same way you have watched him go to heaven. <laughs> right? Uh, they, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet. So where were they? What mountain were they on? Mount of Olives, right? So Yeshua descended, as ascended from the Mount of Olives. We see that, right? That's meaningful because if you go back to the prophetic writings in Zechariah, keep going, back one. Then the Lord, to the Zechariah one, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Okay? It's very meaningful that he descended from the Mount of Olives, and they said he's going to return the way he came. He's, he's going to return the way he ascended. And we see in the prophetic writings that he's going to come back and stand on the Mount of Olives. So, and by the way, in this scripture, in Zechariah 14, he's fighting for Israel. So he comes, and he's going to fight against Israel's enemies, spiritual enemies. And he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. So I want to conclude, my conclusion is that, that when it says in the rapture verses, you can go forward, that the coming of the Lord, that, that the rapture happens at the coming of the Lord, which it says that the rapture will happen at the coming of the Lord when he descends, 
I want to conclude that his descent is not just a halfway down and then back up. His descent is back to Israel. And the rapture, the rapture is we meet him in the air. He comes. We meet him in the air after the tribulation, and we go right back down with him. Now, that might be new theology for you. I mean, there are very, very reputable theologians that ascribe to this theology. I could refer you to like a Dr. Michael Brown. Um, so I'm not alone in this. It's not like I'm just reading it myself. So there are, this is, this is a theology that people ascribe to, that theologians do ascribe to, that the rapture is not yet to heaven. And I know that's, that also can spook people. The rapture is to meet him in the air, and he descends. Because I don't see any reason when it says that the rapture happens at his descent that that's just a little halfway descent. Because every place I see his descent, it's to Israel. It's to Israel. So let me just explain just in general what happens here, that we see the world is going to go through tribulation, and Israel's going to go through tribulation. Israel's going to go through a tough time. And then at some point after that, the Lord's going to come, and he's going to come on behalf of his people. He's going to rescue his people. And he comes, it says, with his angels, but the rapture happens, and we come with him. Because it says he's coming with his holy ones. He's coming with his saints. So we go up, we meet him in the air, and we go down to we go down along with him on his descent to Israel. If he's coming to Israel, we're we're going with him. Okay, so that's how I see it, right? Um, so that is how I see the rapture. You can go forward. Um, and here's another reason why I think the rapture has to do with going to Israel. It's not a rapture yet to heaven. It is to Israel, and I'll explain one thing. So it says here in the rapture verses that there's a resurrection of the dead. And we know that, right? The dead in Christ will rise first. So this is where you see resurrection, right? We see resurrection. But we see resurrection also in the Old Testament. So if we go to the next verse in Ezekiel, he says, and this is classic. This, we, we know these. This is the prophecy of the dry bones. Son of man, will these dry bones live? Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. I want to ask you, is there any reason to think that this resurrection here is different from the resurrection of the rapture? I don't see any reason why it would be a different resurrection. In fact, the New Testament says there's only two resurrections. There's a first one, and then there's one that goes to final judgment. So this is the first resurrection. This is the rapture resurrection. And it brings, it says specifically, you're brought into the land of Israel. You can keep going. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I've opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. Keep going. And I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, have the, I the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. So from my perspective, everything just seem, seamlessly comes together with a post-tribulation rapture, that you have a tribulation time, and then Yeshua comes to fight for Israel. We are resurrected, or the people who have died are resurrected. We meet him in the air, and we're, we go right back. And, and Ezekiel ascribes to that. We're going back to Israel after the resurrection. Um, so that's, that's how I view the rapture. If we don't agree, we'll go grab some Starbucks, and it's okay. All right. Um, but what does this have to do? Can we go back one. Now, we know Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, right? And I haven't spoken about anything that has to do with atonement yet. So what is the fulfillment of atonement? And in fact, the book of Hebrews says that Yeshua already fulfilled it. It says in the book of Hebrews very explicitly that the high priest used to go into the temple once a year, once a year, once a year, but Yeshua went in once for all. So he already fulfilled it, but Israel didn't receive it. That's what's left. So if we go to, again, the prophetic writings, 
in Zechariah, he says, I will pour out on the, out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me who they have pierced. This is the Jewish salvation moment. Israel's salvation. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. The verses continue. Now, it's a different chapter for us because the chapter and verse delineations came later. But when Zechariah wrote it, it was all one thing. It was all one letter or one book. So we can continue on. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. This is when they accept the Lord. This is the salvation of Israel. They look upon him. He's back. And they look upon him. And they accept him. So the way I see the whole thing, so if you can go forward, so the fulfillment and the, the ultimate fulfillment is the salvation of Israel. So this is how I see Yom Kippur being fulfilled. The tribulation happens. All of a sudden Yeshua comes. Rapture happens. We go down. It says we fight against his enemies. He's destroyed the enemies of Israel. Now the Messiah is in front of Israel once again. And they look upon him who they pierced, and they mourn for him, and they accept him, and they receive his salvation finally. That's how I, that's how I see it progressing. That's how I see it happening. So we see the salvation of Israel. Now Yeshua is back. He's back on earth. And I also want you to know this, that um, there are there is a Christian theology that does not ascribe to the belief that Yeshua is coming back on earth. Um, that, is, that has its root in something called replacement theology, uh, which I vehemently deny. Replacement theology means that you know, anything that was, was promises to Israel is just about the church. Any promises to Israel is just about heaven. So everything is spiritualized, where it's really not about him coming back to Israel and, and fulfilling his promises to Israel. It's, it's all about going to heaven. It's both. It has to be both. If God doesn't fulfill his promises to Israel, then he might not fill his promises to us. But God fulfills his promises, and he will fulfill his promises to Israel, and he has major promises to Israel. Even Paul said that all of Israel will be saved. So Israel will be saved. So Yeshua is coming back, and he's going to rule the world from Jerusalem, from Israel. This has to be, this is important. This, it's a part of our end times theology. So now we have him back. We had the tribulation, it's done, rapture, return to Israel, Israel recognizes him. You know, I, I, always, you, I always view the um, story of Joseph as, uh, a, a, as a prophecy of what's going to happen with the Jewish people. Because we see once, do we know the story of Joseph? Eventually, Israel, they were, there was a famine in the land, they eventually went to Egypt and they were in front of Joseph, but he didn't look like his brother, he looked like an Egyptian, he looked foreign to them. This is very much how it is with Jews and Jesus. He just looks foreign to them. But then there was this one time where, where Joseph took off his garments that made him look Egyptian. He said, I'm your brother. I, I, I see a similar thing happening. Uh, so anyway, so now Israel is saved, and now we have, we go into the Feast of Tabernacles. So you can go forward finally. So simple verse on the 15th of the seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. You can continue. So the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Engathering in one place. It's the same festival, same holiday, different name. You shall keep the Feast of Engathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruits of your labors from the field. This is prophetic also because in the prophetic writings it speaks about an end times ingathering of the Jewish people. So go forward. 
Isaiah 11, he will lift up a flag for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Another verse, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold back. This is the final migration of Jewish people to Israel. This is an end times prophecy. There are many, 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 did I say many? End times prophecies of the Jews returning to Israel. Many prophecies. If that's not part of your, your end times, your, your eschatology, I really encourage you to incorporate it because it's there's far too so many 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 verses that speak about the Jews coming back to Israel and God fulfilling His promises to Israel. And we have to have that as part of our end times theology. So we have uh, this feast of ingathering, which is tabernacles, and we have all these prophetic writings that He's going to gather His people, bring them from the north, bring them from the south. Even Yeshua said, He says, "I'm going to gather the elect from the four winds." Same thing. It's the same event. This is the migration of the Jewish people back to Israel. Messiah is back. I guess word got around town, and here they come. Here they come back to Israel. And this is a beautiful scripture, and I think this is something we can pray over this day, because Zechariah 14 speaks a lot about uh, the enemies of Israel, and it speaks about um, even the tactics they'll use in a war against Israel. It says they're going to come against Jerusalem, they're going to rape and pillage houses. Interestingly, the similar tactics we're seeing with Hamas, you know, which is interesting because if it is an end times prophecy, it doesn't mention anything about bombs and nukes or anything like that. It's just these barbaric, ancient, you know, methods of, of war, heinous, horrible methods of war. And that's going to be, it says that that's going to happen. But then the Lord comes, sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. And then it says something interesting after the Lord comes. It will come about that day that any who are left of the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of armies, and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Isn't that interesting? It actually mentions that specific holiday. Why did they mention that specific holiday? Because that's the holiday of the kingdom of God. That's the holiday of when Yeshua is back and he establishes his millennial reign. And um, this is when the nations are going to come also and be included in that. And I love that it says that these are the nations that came against Israel. And for those that have a heart for the Palestinians, as I do, and for all those people who are coming against Israel and you just want to see them saved, this is an amazing prophecy that eventually the ones that came against Israel will go and celebrate the, this holiday and, and, and worship the Lord together. That's a good prophecy. So, um, so what happens on the Feast of Tabernacles? You shall live in tabernacles for seven days. Uh, all the native born in Israel shall live in tabernacles. So your generations may know that I, have, that I had the sons of Israel live in tabernacles when I brought them out from the land of Egypt, I am the Lord. So really what this, this yearly holiday is of the Feast of Tabernacles, it commemorates when Israel looked like this. You can go to the next slide. So this is how the wilderness looked like. This is what the wilderness looked like with the Lord in the center and his abode in the center and all these tents all around circling the Lord. And this is the vision of the kingdom of God when Messiah is back, where he's in the center and we just are, we dwell around him. That's a vision of, of, of the kingdom of God. So I know that we love our mansions. But really, this is, what the, this, is, this, is the, this is the representation of the kingdom of God. These tents all around where the glory of God is. In fact, when Yeshua said, you can go forward. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Go back. That's the vision that was, is portrayed here of in my father's house there are many dwelling places. So, you know, I, 
I hope you get a mansion. If it were not so, I would, t I would tell you, I'm, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. It's interesting that when you read about the new Jerusalem coming down, it says the new Jerusalem prepared for his bride. Back down on earth. And it says in Revelation, I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is, am is among the people. Isn't it interesting that it says the tabernacle of God, right? This is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. He's back with man. He's back among us. That's the fulfillment of it. The tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them. So you can go forward. Um, and how long does it last? Just to say, blessed is our holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. That is the rapture. Uh, for over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of, of God and of Messiah. They will reign with him for a thousand years. Anybody familiar with like a thousand-year reign of the Messiah on earth? Um, so that's, that's on earth. This is the Messiah reigning from Jerusalem on earth for a thousand years. And so what is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles? Number one, it is, you can go forward, uh, the ingathering, because it's called the Feast of Ingathering. So this is the ingathering of the Jewish people, as prophesied in many places, and also the millennial reign of Christ. And then after that, we have something called the eighth day. It's all it says is you're going to have an assembly uh, on the eighth day. And the, the number eight, when you in, in a, from a Hebraic perspective, is very interesting because many of the cycles of God are in cycles of seven. You have a seven-day week, uh, seven times seven. You see that a lot. The seven-year cycle, seven times seven years, 49. Everything's in cycles of seven. So if, if God's cycles are in seven, what's eight? It's like beyond time. It's like something that's very, very supernatural. So the way I like to depict this is if you take a look at the number eight, and this is, this is just what I see, and you twist it on its side, what do you get? You get eternity. So what is this eighth day, which is outside of time? If time is in cycles of seven, eight is outside of it. This is eternity. So if you go forward, and we can conclude that the eighth day festival commemorates our time with the Lord. So And everything that's within it, the final judgment, the roll-up of everything, and being with the Lord forever. I think that's my last slide. Is there anything after this, Kiara? All right. So that is it. So that is the autumn festivals. Um, I hope this wasn't too confusing uh, or too jarring uh, to, to, the, to uh, theological positions. If it is, it's okay. Um, and I, I give you my word. If you, if you convince me that I'm wrong, if you want to talk to me and if you say something, I think you're wrong because of this, that, and this, I'll come up here. I have no problem with that and say, you know, I changed my position on this, okay? So thank you, Adonai, for this time. We love you, and we know that you have good, good plans for all of us in the name of Yeshua, Father, and we just coalesce on what is in